must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, F. Scott Field, and I'm joined today by a mentor of mine, a role model of mine, an absolute hero of mine, somebody I cannot wait to see every opportunity I get, Dr. Lisa Van Hoos. Can you tell our audience a little bit about who you are and your academic journey to get you to where you are today? Oh, my goodness. So thank you so much for your kind words. Um, because I value you as a thinking partner also. Um, And so I am Lisa Van Hoos. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Central Arkansas. I am also the founder of the Ujima Institute, which is basically an organization that is focused on bringing people together to solve the big problems. And we'll be talking more about that. Um, My other um, hats that I wear I am a mother of four amazing adults. Um, I am a grandmother of four and a half. I have a grandchild on the way. Um, my husband is amazing, so I am the wife of Coach Kip Van Hoos. And then um, I am the aunt and auntie and daughter and all other things that we do during this human experience. I love it. I love it. I don't know how you juggle all that, but, uh, you know, we're here today to kind of talk a little bit about the big elephant in the room, right? And that is diversity and inclusion. Yes. Uh, we're here live at the EIM Hybrid Learning Conference, and we're learning a lot. I think we're learning that there is an issue. It's trying to be addressed, whether it's, you know, on purpose or not. But but tell us a little bit about diversity in the world of physical therapy. Oh, great, great question. And thank you so much for allowing us to use your platform to be able to talk about this. Um, So diversity, equity, and inclusion has actually kind of been the Achilles heel for the PT profession for a while. Um, And we've tried some different things. Um, We've cycled in and out of different ideas and experiences, experiments, I'm going to call them. And we just have not been able to make great traction in regards to having a workforce that looks like the communities we serve. And so we're excited about the potential that models like EIM could offer in helping us address that diversity. Um, So one of the, the facts that they presented today for your audience is they talked about how that their programs are anywhere between 20 to 40 percent racial and ethnic minorities. Also, there's diversity in the age of their students and in the geographic distribution. So bringing, being able to bring in students that are from rural America. And so, and that was done without any intention whatsoever, other than just saying that we're going to break down the barriers and we're just going to do this national recruitment for students. And so 
I think EIM's model may be an opportunity for a lot of programs that are kind of wrestling with the lack of diversity in their programs. Yeah, Lisa, you bring up a good point there that it's not only racial diversity, right? Yes. It, it's it's rural, it's cities, it's small towns, big towns. That they, they run the whole gambit. And like you said, that was unintentional. It just kind of happened. They opened the doors to anybody who, who was a qualified candidate, and it brought the masses, so to speak. It brought, you know, everybody across the spectrum, you know, s- supporting all populations. Um, but it also could possibly lead to some new issues that we're seeing in the future. Yes. As great as it is to increase those diversity numbers and to bump those up, we had a really interesting conversation today about, okay, well, now our diversity numbers are up, but looking further down the line, perhaps our pass rates are not as high as they should be. Right. I think you bring up a great conversation. And um, it's funny because um, there was a Twitter feed that was happening last week um, that this topic came up, right, of why do more, why are why are more brick-and-mortar traditional PT programs not aggressively um, leaning into this conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion? And it's some of it is the fear of Kathy, right? So how are you going to deal with the fact that your MPTA, MPTE first-time pass rates may not be as high? And when you start having that conversation, people get nervous, right? And some of it is also that then we buy into the stereotypes that, you know, students of color um, or students that come from other academic preparations just aren't PT material. But I think ultimately we have to have an honest conversation about the fact that the MPTE is going to have bias built into it, just like the GRE does, the ACT, the SAT. And now there is a body of literature to suggest that. And so if we're going to be an evidence-based profession in regards to clinical practice, we probably should also be the same in regards to education. And so we have to have this conversation about, is the MPTE going to be our gold standard in regards to outcomes? And does that create a penalty for certain programs that are willing to be champions of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, for sure. That's not even something that I would have even thought about until we started peeling back the layers of the onion and you think, okay, well, why are our pass rates not as good? Is it just because we let, you know, a minority or or a rural group or, or whatever, you know, in the program? Well, if you did that and there was already a bias in the exam, Perhaps it's that bias that's causing yes. the issue, not your teaching and your pass rate that, that's the issue. Yes. So now it, it, it's another problem that we're running into. Is diversity coming up with these programs? Yeah, the, the numbers are rising, and that's a great thing. The problem becomes, okay, what new problems does that right. does that bring on? Right. And I bet there's some that we're not even thinking about yet that are still going to reveal themselves. You know, and, and these are just speed bumps and hurdles that we have to navigate as we try these new educational models and these new systems. No, I think you're exactly correct. And and I think that is where this whole conversation is can't be just rooted in conversations about diversity, right? Because that's kind of the bean counting. So how many of these do I have? How many of these do I have? But do we have inclusive cultures within our programs that support these students once we bring them into, you know, these environments? And then do we have an inclusive culture as a PT education ecosystem, right? So are we going to create enough space for people to be able to champion this and not penalize them? Are we going to have conversations about, okay, you know, 
this is a systemic issue. And, and the easy thing would be to say, well, it's because we told you those students weren't good PT students, exactly. right? Because often what we try to do is we try to deal with this societal or systemic issue with these individual Band-Aids. That's not going to fix it. It's just So we, we've got to be willing to have more difficult conversations about this and talk about our own biases, right, as a profession and then also as programs. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk a little bit about diversity in academia as well, mm. right? Because we know the, the, the issue exists amongst the student population. But what about the world of physical therapy academia? Is that a problem as well? And, and how do we start to peel back those layers? Oh, that's a great question. Um, and so I did pull down some data facts from a presentation that we did at CSM, um, Dr. Kai Kennedy and Todd Davenport and myself. And so for your audience, I'm just going to kind of quote some numbers that we reported. And I'm also going to have a moment of truth with your audience. I am so nervous right now. <laughs> so if there are times that my enunciation is a little off, it is because of my nerves. No, I'm no, so you're nervous. You're doing great. We're, we're proud to have you. Yes, but I'm super excited to be here. And um, for any of you out there that are like, oh, do I ever speak? Um, as Scott always tells me, he's like, yes, you always speak. Mm-hmm. So I'm speaking my truth right now. So um, in regards to faculty, um, and these are numbers that we pulled from the CACTI aggregated program data reports. So from 2000 to 2017, um, if you look at the percentage of Caucasian, European American, white faculty, it has hovered anywhere between 94% to 88%. So over 17 years, we have maybe had about a 5 to 6% drop, um, you know, 5 to 7 depending upon how you want to massage the numbers. But I think what is even more interesting is when you start looking at program directors, so leadership, right? Because leadership is basically going to drive the attitude and the culture of your program. Um, Caucasian um, European-American program di- directors, they account for anywhere between 90 to 80% of program directors. And that has been pretty consistent, once again, almost over the last two decades. And so when we start looking at the profession, it's concerning because we're um, we're not keeping pace with the changes in the demographics of our society. Um, One of the other data facts that we presented at CSM was comparing kind of the PT profession to diversity within medicine, school of nursing, speech, and occupational therapy. And I think as a PT profession, we have some lessons we could learn from those other professions that are being much more intentional about diversifying the workforce. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, a a good reason that we started this podcast was to kind of help pull some of those silos down, right? Tear those down, learn the best practices from all the professions, learn some of the worst practices, maybe do away with them, right? See what's working, see what's not, and just find ways to collaborate. And and I think we're seeing a lot of that here at the hybrid learning conference. Um, You know, collaboration seems to be a key. And I've been hashtagging that for the last two years, not even in academia, just in life in general. If you can collaborate with someone, you're going to get a better outcome, whether it be for the patient or a a group project or, you know, just a a business venture. Well, then why not do it? I mean, we all win when we collaborate. You know, I think it's it it is a mindset shift. And, and, you know, I'll admit to that. I think there's a little bit of abundance mindset that's needed when you're collaborating. But, uh, you know, you you just got to have that leap of faith and and, and kind of go for it and realize that it's probably going to work out in your favor in the long run. It's going to be a net positive. Right. 
I, I totally agree. And I think what we're seeing here at the at the um, hybrid learning conference is is another way in which to do this. Where even if your program is is you've decided that the traditional brick and mortar is what works best for y'all, I think there are still some lessons to learn from this hybrid learning conference. So them having this director of student of student success, that is huge, right? So if you know that your program is is going to bring in a more diverse body, or maybe you know that in by bringing in that diversity. You're not, you don't have the infrastructure to provide the support for those students. And I'm going to check your bias, right? Because I'm sure that the minute I said that people thought, yeah, because they're going to have more academic needs. Maybe they're just going to have more personal needs, right? You got to think about, you know, the othering of what are all the complexities that go on with that. So you're going to ask me to maybe leave my home, which is in rural America, and come to a PT program that's in an urban setting. You know, how am I going to deal with the homesickness and all of the transitions that go along with that? Um, If you're taking a student that, you know, is from the LGBT community and then they choose to go to a PT program that is kind of rooted in this more conservative religion, you know, religious environment. So this ideal of them, you know, having this model that includes this director of student success, I think is a beautiful option. That regardless of what your model of PT education is, it probably we all need a director yeah. of student success. Absolutely, I, mean, I need a director of just Lisa success. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, I mean, realistically, if we take a look at the big picture, right? I mean, it's creating and fostering that that safe zone, right? Yes. That place where we can all be cool with whatever it is we want to talk about and say, in order to succeed in the big picture, right? And and. You know, that's one of the things we kind of talked about as a way to succeed would be to foster that that zone of comfort and that, you know, safe place, if you will, yes. where all students can learn regardless of race, gender, you know, any equality issues, they male, female, doesn't matter. Right. You're here. You're here to learn. We're here to help you. Here's our safe place. Feel free to ask away whatever you need to. We're going to be there to help you. I so agree. And so um, for those of your audience who know me, you know, I'm kind of. I tend to exist in this very metaphysical place, and also I teach pathophys um, as my primary course. And I think it's a really good example of just natural wisdom, right? When you think about sales, they're always supported by this, you know, some type of matrix. There's always an infrastructure around them. They don't exist in a silo. And I think sometimes we forget that about our students, right? That it's not just, oh, here's a student that's going to be in this PT program, but they need an infrastructure around them that supports and nourishes them. And so I think that there are some things that we're learning here at the hybrid learning um, conference that, you know, programs could use. I think also this, this beautiful conversation that we're having about engagement, right? That ultimately, okay, what is it that we're going to do that's going to help that student learn? And it may be bringing in technology or different ways of instruction, but having just, the space, the safe space to have those conversations, I think is just, it's been a really good conference so far. Yeah, for sure. One of the things I want to talk about next is how do we fix this? What do we do to address this, right? There's a lot of good people doing some really good work out there. I know, you know, Sean Hagee with the CSM After Dark uh, program, that was always excellent, always a great, uh, well-attended talk, Um, you know, yourself included. There's just, there's a lot of people out there fighting the good fight, so to speak, right? So as a white male, how do I fit into this picture? How, what can I do to 
make a difference? What can I do to address the problem? Oh, this is good. Okay, and so I think for me to make sure that I do this question, um, that I value it, right, because this is a really rich question, we're going to start at the individual level. So first of all, what I think each of us has to do is we have to identify who we are, right? So um, Hopkins has identified that right now we're kind of in agreement that there's about 16 dimensions of diversity. And so you being able to do the work to realize what makes you you, right? Um, Because one of the things that we see a lot um, in my own research and then also in published literature, when you talk to you know, white students or students of a lighter hue, um, because I often say this, I believe everybody has color, y'all. If you you don't have color, we got a whole (laughs) nother question. That's a whole nother issue. Um, But students who come from European, American, Caucasian um, students, when you ask them what's your culture, you see that deer in the headlight, right? Because often they feel like this conversation is not about them. And so I think that's probably the first thing that I would tell people to do is Do some cultural awareness about yourself and who you are so that then you understand that this conversation is about you, right? Because you have just as many complexities to you as I do. And so we're kind of simplifying this at a larger conversation where we make it racial or ethnic. But you being able to understand that, okay, there's these dimensions of diversity that also impact me. So that's the first thing I think you do, that kind of individual work. Then from there, when we start talking about community or program level work, I think every program needs to kind of look at their website and say, is our website inclusive? Is it inviting? You know, and if and if you lack diversity amongst your faculty in regards to racial and ethnic diversity, right, you might ask another unit to look at your website and say, okay, what's missing? Could you see yourself coming to my program just based on my website? Or, you know, so I think kind of doing that assessment of what is your, some people call it your door, Mm -hmm. right, or your brand. And maybe it is that your brand is not inclusive, right? So kind of looking at your front door, doing your front door work. And then I think programs have to think about, okay, so we get the students here. How do we keep them and their experiences similar to the majority, right? So having some ideas on how you're going to build inclusive communities and and I, one of the things that I'm just really just kind of ranting and raving about is this thing called the human library. So maybe once a month or maybe once a quarter, depending upon what your program can do, have a student or a faculty member kind of talk about what it is to be them, right? Because then that allows you, your students, your faculty to kind of be able to see and feel what that's like. And also you can see the differences. You can also see the commonalities because I think... Once you can understand that, wait a minute, these journeys are very similar, that allows us then to be much more accepting of ourselves. And then the other thing that programs can do is build a relationship with a high school or a middle school or an elementary school that then you can start nurturing and exposing those students to the PT profession early on. Um, And then the PT profession as a whole, so we kind of went individual, community, or department level, and now society level, is, is I think the PT profession has to commit. Because we've kind of done this one foot in, one foot out. We value it, but we ain't going to do anything. Put your money where your mouth is. So those would kind of be, you know, if, if I was president, that's what I would work on. Gotcha. So what can a student do? 
on on their level to help improve inclusivity and uh-huh. and and kind of just kind of roll with the punches as far as diversity is concerned. Like, you know, a first year or second year DPT student in their, within their class, what can they do to, to kind of help it with being inclusive? I think that's a great idea. I think, um, oh, I'm trying to think of what high school it was, but I think um, high schoolers are kind of leading the way in this charge right now in our society. And so there's now kind of what they call the cafeteria initiative. So no student sits alone in the cafeteria. I think PT programs need to institute something similar, yeah. right? So if you have these students that you see kind of always sit on the edges, marginalized, then as a PT student, bring them in, right? Bring them in. The other thing is, is silence is not good, right? So I think one, it's a great quote, says silence benefits the oppressor, right? So if you see behavior that does not, you know, doesn't recognize the humanity in another person, isn't kind, say something. Because if you don't say something, then you're supporting it. So I would say make sure you're bringing in your peers. And then also if you see things, say something. It's just like at the airport, right? See something, say something. Yes. It needs to be a a life lesson, not just an airport. I think so. TSA was right on that. There's some other (laughs) stuff they got to work on. Right. But they were right on that one. Um, Well, Lisa, I can't thank you enough for your time and for for coming on here and being such an advocate for everything physical therapy related. Um, We like to finish with this one final question to all of our guests. Mm -hmm. If you could change one aspect of higher education, whether it be DPT or or otherwise, what aspect would you change and how would you change it? If I could change one thing, what would I change? I would say the selfishness. And what I mean by that is that it is very selfish for each program to work in its silos. It is very selfish to me for each program to have, you know, this, we hoard our resources. Um, And I just feel like that's not a good use of, you know, your human capital of your faculty. It's not a good use of your institutional resources. It's not a good use of the planet, right? Um, because often we'll use something one or twice, once or twice, and then we put it away until the next cohort needs it. Why could we not share more, right? I think we talk about that in kindergarten. We tell people to share, but then as we become adults, we're like, no, this is not mine, right? So I think the selfishness has to stop. And I mean, even look at interlibrary loans, right? I found so many research articles that I didn't have access to that another library that we partnered with did. I mean, the article will get found eventually, and it might be two or three libraries down the line, but why isn't that happening amongst institutions if we're we're doing that with libraries? I so so agree. Why can we not do that with faculty, right? So why am I teaching content that I'm marginally qualified to teach when maybe I could partner with another institution that would be willing to share their faculty person? Right. Could we not have models that allow us to buy out time from each other so that our students get the best instruction? If we're truly trying to, you know, transform society and make sure that we've got this high quality, you know, patient centered PT workforce, we've got to do this slightly different. And I think that's kind of what the hybrid model is looking toward is to borrow and collaborate amongst all their partners so that little by little, year by year, it keeps getting better, keeps getting better till eventually there's a gold standard almost like a golden egg product that they can just produce great quality clinicians year in and year out. I totally agree. And I think this concept of sharing could also be used for DEI efforts, right? So if you're a program that has limited, you know, 
diversity within your program. Maybe you could, you know, share the faculty from another institution, right? Because we have some institutions that have really large proportions of minority faculty. And so maybe you could, you know, have this visiting scholar program, or maybe you could have some of their alums kind of talk to you about how to improve diversity. But we've got to be in the sharing mode. Even even interprofessional, right? Yes. Why not have a dentist who's an expert in TMJ and oral fascial pain come in to teach the class about that? That's what they see all day, every day. Let's take a lecture and learn from the best. I love that. Or, you know, in my integumentary people, I love you. I am an PT that has had a extensive wound care training. But I think there's something we can learn from nursing in regards to integumentary care. We came from nursing, right? We started from nursing. Yes. So, I mean, yeah, just that, that, like you said, tear down the selfishness and let's just share. share. Sharing is caring. Sharing is caring, yes. And Brene Brown would say, to be clear is to be kind, right? Absolutely. Yes. Well, Lisa, thank you so much again for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Where can people find you if they want to reach out and ask you some questions or just follow what you have to say out there in the PT world? Oh, awesome. Um, so if you are looking for me, I'm always social, um, but my bio and my email address is on the University of Central Arkansas Physical Therapy um, Department's website. Um, you'll also, that'll take you to a link to my research lab, which is called The Crew, Cancer Rehabilitation and Wellness. And then if you are interested in partnering with the Ujima Institute in regards to having some conversations and action planning about some of these big, complex issues, um, you can find us at ujimainstitute.com. And we are also located on Facebook, Ujima Institute. We've got a group. So um, looking forward to continuing this conversation. And thank you all so much. I appreciate this. Absolutely. And we'll include all those links in the show notes so you guys can find her very easily. Thank you so much, Dr. Lisa Adams. Thank you. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today. And we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.